is an honor to be here with all of your beautiful faces tonight. Uh, I, I lived the majority of my life in Salem, Oregon, on the other side of the river. I graduated West Salem High School in 2008, and then I moved out to the coast. I was out there for about seven years or so, and I worked with churches and church plants, or a church over there called North Coast Family Fellowship in Seaside, Oregon. How many of you love Seaside? It's a wonderful place to visit. So it's a great place to be. And then uh, God called us back to Salem about five years ago and started at Liberty Christian Church. And I just want to say I love what you guys are doing. I love church plants. I love the local church in general. When I was on the coast, I worked with church plants. And uh, we did a Sunday night service just like this because there's something different about meeting in the evening times. Can I get an amen from the church? It's good stuff, isn't it? People are like awake most of the time. Uh, They're happy. And I feel like you can just go into more depth because people are, you know, not like on their second cup of coffee. Maybe you're on your eighth cup of coffee. I don't know. But uh, it's just my honor to be here. And I love what you guys are are doing. And it's my honor to support. And and, and we believe in you guys. So we're going to walk through uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 29. And what I want to reflect on this evening is what does it look like to abide in Jesus? to be in fellowship with Jesus, even when it feels like he's not there. Even when your views and your belief system is being attacked. What does it look like? What does it look like even to stand firm in the principles that you believe in while also listening and having conversations with people that you have a differing worldview from. How many of you think the church and our country is doing a great job at that right now? I don't think so. I mean, we could have different opinions. That's okay. But what I want to look at is what does it really look like to abide in Jesus, to be in fellowship with Jesus? Something that I've been practicing is disagreeing with people. How many of you are people pleasers like me? Anybody in the room? Oh, there's some honesty. Thanks, you guys. I'm not alone. You are my people. How many of you hate conflict? Anybody else hate conflict? Oh, look at that. Man, this side. I'm just going to preach this side over here and I'm just teasing. (laughs) Who loves conflict? Dude, we got to get coffee sometimes so you can just teach me your ways or something like that. (laughs) I will buy. Absolutely. So this is a practice that I have been uh, working on myself. It's called intentional listening. You guys good listeners in here? Any good listeners? And he's a great listener too. Good. It's the practice of going out, having a conversation with someone, and listening to them, not with the intent to defend yourself. Oftentimes, what we tend to do is when we're having a conversation, if somebody is disagreeing with us or somebody sees the world differently than us, anytime they're communicating with us, we're not really listening with the intentionality to understand their perspective and where they're coming from. Typically, our goal is to think to ourselves, how can I get back at this person so I feel like I'm like Obi-Wan Kenobi and I have the high ground and I feel better about my, myself? So the principle is this, being confident in your values and your principles, but with the concession to change. That does not mean they're going to change necessarily your opinion, but it means that you can hear them out 
and make sure when they're having this conversation with you, instead of listening to be defensive, you listen and ask questions of things like, hey, I just want to make sure I got you on this. Is this really what you mean? Is this how you feel about this situation or this topic, whatever it is? To make sure that when they're done talking, they have expressed themselves clearly and you're not being defensive, you're just listening and that's it. And then when they know that they've been understood by you, then you say, well, the words I've been practicing is not saying I disagree. Everybody say, I see things differently. Those words will change your life. Don't use it in your marriage, but those words will change your life. <laughs> Being able to say, you know, I, I appreciate you giving your, your input, but I see things a little bit differently. I see things this way. See, as we move forward as brothers and sisters in Christ and as the church in the 21st century, there's going to be a lot of opposing views that come at us every different direction. And we need to be prepared to be confident in our principles, but hey, if we're wrong, we're wrong. There's a lot of things that we say, well, I'm 99% certain I am correct, or even 100% certain I'm correct, but this is how we have conversations. This is how iron sharpens iron and how we grow and mature and we're just adults, right? That's the goal we want to be able to do. Be mature, spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith. The challenge is what typically happens in the church is we become saved, experiences Jesus' death and his resurrection, and then we mature a little bit and then we just flatline. And we all stay stuck as spiritual sixth graders. And I don't know if we all want to be spiritual sixth graders for the rest of our lives, because no offense, sixth graders, but sometimes you don't smell the greatest. And we want to be able to grow into mature. It's a bad joke. So what's happening in, in the book of John, he's writing to the early church, and there's a lot of opposition. There's different, different viewpoints. And John tells the church to be careful and understand the truth. How do we know what the truth is? By abiding in Jesus, walking step in step with him every single day, even in challenges, even when it feels like he's not there. Because the truth matters. Look what uh, John says in 2 John chapter 1, verse 7. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such is a one of a deceiver and the Antichrist. You guys want to talk about the Antichrist tonight? We're going to. It's going to be a lot of fun. Last time, I, when I asked Michael to teach in my church, he said, Stephen, I'll be there, but uh, just so you know, in my church, we're going to talk about divorce, so I'm just going to talk about divorce. And I said, that's cool. And when he asked me to come here, he said, just so you know, I'm going to talk about the Antichrist. Is that cool? He says, that's cool, so here we are. <laughs> so verse 18 of John chapter, 1 John chapter 2. He says, dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These two times John talks about the last hour, he's not talking about like a time period, but more of like a kind of time, which I believe we are still all living in today, the last hour. So he says, be careful, the Antichrist is coming, many such Antichrists have appeared, from this, we know that the last hour has come. So let's talk about the Antichrist for a minute. Typically, when we think of the Antichrist, what do we think of? The 90s and the left behind movement. Anybody else, anybody else alive in the 90s and the left behind movement? It was like everybody was the Antichrist, right? We could just have faith in Kirk Cameron. He would lead us through the valley 
No. Man, people were pointing fingers. It was always like some world leader. It was always like the, you know, the UN leader or president or something like, they're the Antichrist, you know, and, and I'm 32 years old. In my lifetime, I think I've had like five of these supposed Antichrists that they, turns out, wasn't the real deal. What John is saying is that there is a lot of these lowercase a antichrists, or others would define it as the spirit of the antichrist, meaning anybody who speaks against Jesus being the son of God is an antichrist. Now what's happening here in 1 John is there's these different movements happening out of the church that were teaching that Jesus was not the son of God. Same type of movements we have around us today. People that say, oh, Jesus was alive, he was just a prophet, or he was just a good person, he existed in history, but he wasn't 100% God and 100% man. John says anybody who teaches that Jesus is not God is a lowercase a antichrist. Now, there is a biblical argument for a capital A antichrist. Most theologians would use passages from Daniel, potentially Revelation, kind of these apocryphic uh, um, types of literature, poetic type of literature, and potentially Thessalonians. In my personal theological belief, you guys can have your own belief. I believe you guys can learn to think for yourselves, right? I think there's a lot of antichrist, and there, there might be someday one big baddie like left behind. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that anybody, as John says, who teaches that Jesus is not the Son of God, all of our red flags... <laughs> should go straight up. John says, take caution. Be careful. You exist in the world today, church, where there's all of these still same belief systems being thrown at you every single minute of every single day. John says, be careful that you know the truth. Again, how do we know the truth? By abiding in Jesus, being in fellowship with God, and being in fellowship with one another as the capital C church, which is the worldwide body of followers of, of Jesus. So there's these people that have left their church, right? And then John has these kind words to say about these people who have left in verse 19. He says, these people, they left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Does that encourage you today? Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. Then how do we treat them? Well, as unsaved individuals. How do we treat unsaved individuals as followers of Jesus? With the grace, the mercy, the compassion, and the love of God, can I get an amen from Valley Church? That's how we treat people, right? It takes note, we should take note that going to church doesn't make us a Christian. John says there's a lot of people that were attending church who were camouflage Christians. People that would come to church and look one way on a Sunday. Maybe you've known someone like this in your life. You're like, I saw you at church on Sunday and at work throughout the week, you're, you're kind of a different person, you know? These people in camouflage who go to church on Sundays, but they might not be saved individuals. At the, at the end of the day, God's the only one that knows. I have no idea. God knows. But what I do know is this. It is our actions that prove that our faith is real. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus says, Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and you have turned to God. Let me repeat that one. 
prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and you have turned to God. Another translation would say it this way, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So it's not going to church that saves you. It's not even volunteering. It's believing in Jesus' death and his resurrection. And if you truly believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, it should show in the way that we live. And sometimes, I think, as followers of Jesus, we make this so much more complicated than it needs to be. I mean, if, if we really just read through the New Testament, just read through the words of Jesus, and if we just apply those words to our lives and we actually live out what it says, mind blown. For my conflict haters, my people pleasers, those who hate confrontation, Jesus says, if somebody offends you, we are to go to them directly, have a conversation. Do we do that often in our lives? The guy in the back row does. Nobody else, though. No, no, nobody else. What if we actually do it? What if we show the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. It says to love our enemies, Jesus says. See, sometimes we make things more complicated than it needs to be. All we do is read the Bible, read what Jesus says, and, and apply it to our lives and live it out, proving that we're followers of Jesus by the way that we live. Jesus says in the Bible that you will prove to the world that you are my followers by what? Our love for one another. That's it. By our love for one another. So John says there's a lot of camouflage Christians. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It says, these people that were with us, who they, when they left, they were never with us in the first place. And that brings up a really deep, really challenging theological question that Pastor Michael will answer any time during the week, okay? And it's, can you lose your salvation? Yes or no? Theologians have been debating this for a long time. You can have an opinion either way and still be a follower of Jesus. The views are, one, you believe in Jesus, Immediately, you experience his death and his resurrection. You have true belief, proven by a way that you live. You are saved, period. There's nothing that can take that away. There's no decision that you can make that will take that away. There's another theological belief that you come to faith in Jesus, a true saving faith, and then if you walk away, you reject God, then you lose that saving faith. Again, I believe that in church, you guys should have your own opinions. You can study the Bible and ask Pastor Michael. Take him out to coffee. Talk about losing your salvation if it's possible, whatever. It's fun to talk about how we grow. Again, as iron sharpens iron, that's how we grow together. We can have differing views on things and still end up in the same place, right? What I believe is this. As Scripture says, you believe in Jesus. This is what we can be confident of, no matter what your view is on that subject. You believe in Jesus in his death and his resurrection, everybody say, I am saved. Does that encourage you? That's good stuff, isn't it? And it should show in the way that we live. Pulling, continually pulling ourselves outside of our comfort zones. Continually learning to rely on Jesus every single day. Even when it feels like he isn't there. That's what faith is. This is what John says. Look, the, these people, these camouflaged Christians, they were in our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. 
And we should know and understand what we believe and why we believe it. Verse 20, he continues. He says, but church, for those who are remaining in the pews, I love that you guys have actual pews, by the way. That's freaking awesome. So, but you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you his spirit, church. And all of you know the truth. I'm writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. Why? You abide with Jesus. You're in fellowship with Jesus. Verse 22, and who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is a, lowercase a, antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. It says, you know the truth. Warren Wearsby, theologian, says this, faith in a lie will always cause serious consequences or disappointment. That's why it's so important we know the truth. How many of you guys re- remember those infomercials that came on at like 2 a.m. in the 90s of those like preachers who were selling the holy water for like 25 cents? Does, does anyone remember these? Or the, or the holy uh, handkerchiefs? Did you guys ever see these? You did? Okay, thank you. It wasn't just me, all right? Or if you stayed home um, being sick from school and you're like flipping through daytime television, I would see them sometimes on there as well. And there's these guys that would sell these tiny little water bottles, like not even the full-size ones. You know what I'm talking about? Like the little baby ones that you give children, little tiny suckers. And they would say this, if you plant your seed and if you send in a simple gift of $19.99, we will bless you and send you this miraculous tiny bottle of holy water and then God will bless you financially. He will double over your finances. Your bank account will start growing. Somebody will give you a random financial gift of thousands of dollars, and God will bless you. And people, man, they made a lot of money off of this. <laughs> you, you think it's legit? You got to look it up on YouTube. I haven't looked if it's there, but it's there. I, I saw it for reals. That would be faith in a lie. And there's a lot of people that sent all this money in. Oh, I believe in this and woo! Even though they had faith that this tiny bottle of fake holy water would save them or make them a ton of money, the reality is probably nothing changed for them. They just lost 20 bucks and made some prosperity guy a lot of money. Faith in a lie will always come to disappointment or consequences. That's why it's so important we have discernment as followers of Jesus that we abide in Jesus, we have faith and fellowship with Jesus so we know the truth from a lie. This is what John says. He says again, anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And the goal throughout all of this is simply that you as followers of Jesus, as the church, remain, as John says, faithful. You must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. He says, you know the truth. And if you do, you'll remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. Another translation of being in fellowship with the Son or in fellowship with Jesus, the classic English word would be abide. Everybody say abide. To abide in Jesus. What does that mean? To be with Jesus, knowing that you can do nothing without Jesus. He says in verse 26, I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. 
all of these different marine beliefs that you're being hammered with every single day. But John says to you, the church, you have received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lives within you so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true because you know the truth. And as scripture says, the truth will set you free. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know and he teaches and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship or abide with Jesus. Now the challenging piece is this. What does it look like to have faith and fellowship with Jesus and abide in Jesus when it feels like he's not there? When your views and your belief system is being attacked and like, is God even here? And the crazy thing is God is always there. And oftentimes he's working behind the scenes and we just have to be patient and have faith that God will do exactly what he said he's gonna do. I've been reflecting on the story of Joshua this past week. I was reading a book called Attacking Anxiety by a pastor out of Colorado. It's a great read. And in it, he uses the story of Joshua as this example. And it, I've just really been reflecting on this, the power of this illustration. So Joshua received a, a big assignment. He was to lead the Israelite people. How many of you story, heard the story of Joshua before? Right? It's pretty common in the Old Testament. If you've never read it before, go through the Old Testament, read the story of Joshua. He was taking the reins from his mentor, Moses, who had recently died. He's still mourning and kind of grieving. And now he's tasked with a responsibility to bring these hundreds of thousands of people into the promised land. And God tells Joshua, take the Ark of the Covenant to the Jordan River, which was in flooding season. So it was very high, waters rushing. How am I to get all these people across? God says, take these people to the Jordan River, send the priests to the water with the Ark of the Covenant and have the priests place their feet in the water. How many of you heard this story before? I know what I'm talking about, right? What happens? Remember, years before the story of the Exodus, Prince of Egypt type stuff, <laughs> Moses slams the staff down to get the people out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, and the Red Sea pff, parts in two, and they walk right down the middle. Miraculous miracle. I think God was teaching the Israelite people, look, I am all powerful, almighty, have faith and trust in me. And now in this story in Joshua, God is teaching the Israelite people a little bit of a different lesson. I think he's teaching them patience and to have faith in him even when it seems like he's not working. Because what it says in scripture, if you read the story, read it yourself. When they, the priests put their feet in the water, it says that the water stopped not right where they put their feet in the water, but miles up the river in this little town called Adam. Most theologians believe that means when the priests put their feet in the water, it took potentially hours for the river to stop. Can you imagine Joshua sweating bullets right there? <laughs> All right, God said to me, put your feet in the water and then the water will stop. Okay, and, and the Israelites were thinking, okay, we, we've been in this position before. Moses slammed his staff, <laughs> sea opens up, we walk through on dry ground. So the priests put their feet in the water. Nothing happens. They wait there. Again, like, what, what do you think they're thinking? Have faith. God said he's going to do this. 
I believe God will do what he said he is going to do. They wait a couple of hours, potentially the riverbed dries up, they can walk through to the other side. And the crazy thing is this, the moment that they put their feet in the water, God did what he said he was going to do. They just needed to wait for the repercussions of that. God's working in your life, even when it seems like he's not there. There's all of these things and these moving parts happening behind the scenes that we don't understand. And the challenge is that we need to abide and be in fellowship with Jesus day by day, step by step, as we continue to mature as followers of Jesus. That's easier said than done though, right? Remember when I said, well, all we need to do is read the scripture and apply it to our lives. That takes a lot of work and it's really hard to do because it continually pushes us outside of our comfort zone. There's continual times where we need to put our feet in the river. God does something and it's like, well, God, you told me to do this and like, what's happening? You haven't provided for me financially. You haven't opened the doors here and I feel like you're not even listening. You're not there and God says, just chill out, bro. That's how, he sp- that's how God talks to me. <laughs> Steve, just chill, bro, chill. I'm working, man. I'm not in a rush. I told you what I'm going to do. I'm faithful to do what I said I will do. Now, all you need to do is to be faithful to your calling, to abide in Jesus, to walk step in step with your heavenly Father every single day. Sometimes that means during your day, you need to take a step back. For parents, sometimes that means you lock yourself in your closet because I have four kids and I know that's the only time you will get silence in your life for about five minutes. Lock the door and say, Lord, I need you. I pray that in this moment, I realize the presence of God, that you are with me, that you are as close to me as the air that I am breathing. And I pray that even though I am going insane, that I experience the presence and the peace of God. When you are in your working life situation, do what you can. Take moments out of your day to learn to slow down. That's the challenge. In our lifestyle in the United States of America, it's like, let's go, let's go. There's things to do. There's money to be made. Let's move. The challenge we have is learning how to slow down. That doesn't mean be lazy. It means learn to slow down and be with God. Anytime that you feel like God isn't there typically is a sign that we need to slow down, abide in Jesus, be in fellowship with Jesus. Deep breath, you are there. When our belief systems are being hammered and there's all these different theological viewpoints coming in and we may see things differently than someone, say, God, I'm I'm going through a challenging conversation and what does scripture say? Even in the passage where it says, where two or three are there, there I'm gathered in their name. You guys familiar with this passage? We don't tend to talk about it. That is speaking specifically on conflict. When you're in these situations, God says, I'm there. I am with you every step of the way. The challenge is we ourselves are the ones that build that wall between us and God. We get busy, we get anxiety, we get stressed. And I don't know about you, when I get anxious, I tend to try to go faster, to do more, 
to try to soothe my, my grief or my pain or my anxiety. I'm like, everything will be fine if I just forget about it. And what God is asking of me is simply to give it to him. The pain, those who avoid grief, those who avoid their anxieties and stress, God says, give those to me. Not one time in this entire Bible does God say that the life we live on planet earth will be easy. Never says that. In fact, if you really want to have an argument about it or see things differently, I would say it says the opposite, that this life will be hard, that you will be tempted, that there will be grief and pain and loss. But it says he'll be with you every step of the way. You abide in him. Verse 28, as we close this sucker down, John says, and now dear children, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame as Adam and Eve did. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. Jesus says this in John 15. Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. It's impossible. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, everybody say, I can do nothing. But with Jesus, you can do everything. James chapter four, verse eight, James says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Simple. Wash your hands, James says, you sinners, in the bluntness of James. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Sometimes I think when we get consumed with the busyness of life, that's our hearts being divided between God and the world. There's more money to be made, more retirement to be made, more things to be done, more people. Learn to slow down and be with God. Experience his presence, knowing that he's as close to you as the breath that you are currently breathing. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, he says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. Let me repeat that one. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. This is the challenge that we have. To say no to cultural's definition of success. To reject that as Jesus did. To reject popularity as Jesus did. It's just mind-blowing to me. It is mind-blowing to me. Jesus could have had everything. He could have been a king. He could have been a great political figure. He could have been a celebrity, wealthy, and he rejected all of those things. He could have been living the American dream, mansion on the lakeside, everything. And he said no to that. And he said yes to walking in humility. He said yes to sacrifice and abiding in God. All those times where all these hundreds and hundreds of people were following Jesus. And oftentimes he would disappoint them and say, no, I need to continue to move on or no, 
I need to go pray and be with my father. This is the practice. When we're getting hammered and with these differing beliefs and when everybody's at each other's throats and there's political division and there's division in the church and that's exactly what Satan wants. Split churches apart, division, all of these things. And then we come together as followers of Jesus. We abide, we're in fellowship with him and we walk in his footsteps every single moment of every single day. We learn to slow down we learn to reject cultural's definition of success and we more define Jesus's definition of success. Jesus doesn't say to be successful, you have to have an incredible job with a retirement 401k. And Jesus says, pick up your own cross daily and follow me. Serve people, wash each other's feet, walk in humility, abide in me for apart from Jesus he says, we can do nothing. So I'm going to pray, and then our team's going to come, and we're going to close in worship together as a church. I just want to say thank you for the honor to be here. Um, I've come and I've worshiped here before, and I love Sunday night service because I work on Sunday mornings, and so you guys will continue to see me because I love what you guys are doing, and I'll just be here worshiping with you guys. But would you join me in prayer as we close together? God in heaven, I thank you so much for Valley Church, for what you're doing in this community. I pray that we all continue to learn to abide in Jesus even when it feels like God's not there. We know that you have already done what you said you were going to do and it's our job to be patient and walk step in step with Jesus. To reject cultural view of success and, and pursuing popularity and fame and being an influencer and we say yes to Jesus' example. A man who could have had it all, who was 100% God, 100% man, and he came to serve, not to be served. He came to wash the feet of a man who would betray him. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And by his wounds, we are healed. And we want to pick up our own cross daily and follow in the example of Jesus to abide, to be in fellowship with him, to walk with Jesus day by day, step by step, and slow down and be with God, to stand firm in our principles and our values with concession to change sometimes. I thank you for Valley Church. I pray you bless this community, that they grow and reach people with the message of Jesus. In your name, amen.